in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see many different passages uh, that describe how wonderful it is when God's people are in unity together. When a church body, where there's love and there's togetherness and there's humility and there's, there's unity. Many passages describe how wonderful that is. Let me give you an example from the Old Testament. Psalm 133, verses 1 and 2. Listen to what David writes. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. There it is. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron. Aaron's the high priest. Running down on the collar of his robes. It is also like the dew of Hermon, Mount Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. So there was this oil that was only used by the chief priest, and it was fragrant, very aromatic. And so what David is saying is that when when brothers and sisters in, in the body of Christ, when a church is in unity together, it's a sweet-smelling aroma that we can all enjoy. And when we're in unity together, it's, it's like dew falling upon a mountain, which brings life and brings growth and brings fruitfulness. So unity is a good thing. Aromatic oil, fragrant oil, and like dew. And then look, in, here's an example from the New Testament. John 17, 23. Jesus is praying here. Listen to what he prays. He's talking to the Father. Father, I in them, my followers, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that, here's the result, the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. So when we here in Grace Church are in unity together, it's a fragrant aroma we enjoy, it's life-giving dew falling upon us, and it shows the world the beauty, the glory, the majesty of Jesus Christ. All that happens when we are in unity together. And that's why Satan hates our unity. And that's why Satan works very hard to destroy our unity. And I would guess that this last week, not that I've heard of, but I would imagine that there's ways that Satan has tried to sow discord between individuals here to disrupt our unity as individuals so that there's somebody you're now at odds with or a little bit distant from or a bit bitter towards. So he wants to destroy our unity individually as well as corporately. He wants there to be factions, warring factions here that are competing against each other. Because if he can do that, if he can disrupt our unity then the fragrant aroma of unity becomes a stench of division. And life-giving dew of unity becomes like life-depleting division. And unity which displays the beauty of Christ becomes division which brings dishonor to Christ. And that's why Paul, in Ephesians chapter 4, he's finished three chapters, he gives a powerful appeal be eager, be passionate to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. So let's take a look at what Paul says here about unity. In Grace Church, God wants to strengthen us today as a church. 
in unity. He wants to safeguard our unity with this passage today. He wants to build up walls that will defend us against any kind of division or bitterness or fractiousness. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, here's what Paul writes. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, I urge you, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, Jesus, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Powerful passage. So what does Paul want us to do? Look at verse 1 again. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So Paul wants us to, to walk in a certain way. And that idea of walking has to do with just how you live, how you live your life. Walking is a metaphor for living. And he wants us to live in a way that's worthy of our call. In chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians, Paul has spelled out the way God's call us. He describes our call in these first three chapters. And so what is our call? How does Paul describe it? Let me give you five descriptions. Okay. First of all, God has called us to hope, the hope of joy in Christ. You can see that right there in verse 4. One hope that belongs to your call in Ephesians chapter 3. But also look back in chapter 1 of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 18. He says the same thing there. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. He's praying. Paul prays that you may know what is the hope, there's that word, to which he has called you. So he describes this calling. We want to walk worthy of the calling. This is a calling to hope. Hope in what? Next line of verse 18. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So God has called us to a particular hope, and it's hope in this inheritance, the riches of this inheritance God's given to us. Do you realize you've, had an, you've received an inheritance? We talked about this Gosh, a few weeks ago now from chapter 1. Because you're trusting Jesus Christ right now, by God's grace alone, you've been forgiven for all your sins through Jesus' death, and you've received an inheritance. You have an inheritance waiting for you. What is this inheritance? Well, all through the New Testament, it's Jesus Christ. Knowing Jesus Christ fully as you have been fully known. You know him now, but not fully. You're going to know him fully. It's seeing him face to face. You see him now, but through a mirror dimly, but you're going to see him face to face. And Jesus Christ is so glorious, so majestic, so good, so loving, so powerful, so beautiful that when you see him face to face and know him fully as you are fully known, your heart is going to be filled with joy far surpassing anything this world has to offer. You're going to have the joy of beholding your Savior. That's the inheritance. 
And so this first description of our calling, it's a calling to hope in the joy of beholding Jesus. That's the first description. Second description, this hope is undeserved. Look at chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Ephesians. Paul says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now think about that. We were dead in sin. No desire for God. No faith in Jesus. And God's call mercifully, powerfully changed your heart and gave you faith in Jesus. So you're forgiven and you have this hope that I can have joy in Christ, seeing him face to face, my heart filled with my, the beauty of my Savior. So it's undeserved. Third description. This hope is certain. I love this one. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. This is important because the word hope in English oftentimes refers to just like wishful thinking, right? Like, I hope I get the promotion. That's not how the Bible uses the word hope. Look at what Paul says here, verse 11. In him, in Christ, we've obtained an inheritance. There's that inheritance again. Joy in beholding Christ, loving him, knowing him. So in him, we've obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So because you are trusting Jesus right now, this means that before the foundations of the world in eternity past, God predestined that you would have this inheritance, that you'd be saved, and because you're saved, you have this inheritance. And because God works all things after the counsel of his will, when God predestines something, it happens. It's absolutely certain. So because you're trusting Jesus right now, there is no doubt about it. You are going to be there enjoying that inheritance, face to face with Jesus, with all the redeemed, glorifying him, worshiping him, your heart overflowing with joy. It's certain. Fourth description, this hope is real, and we can know it's real. How? Verse 14 of chapter 1. Paul says, who? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee, the, the down payment, the deposit of our inheritance. And here's what that means. This afternoon, you can go home, sit at your kitchen table, open up your Bible, and start to seek God's face. And when we do that, we will have times when the Holy Spirit takes some of your inheritance, some of that joy you're going to experience in Christ, and he lets you enjoy it right now. You can have an actual taste of heaven's joys now as you open up God's word and as you seek his face. And so when you do that, it's like, this is real. This is real. This isn't just, remember pie in the sky, by and by, we talked about that a few months ago. This is real. I'm tasting. The joy of you, Jesus, is glorious. So it's also real. And then one last description. It's everlasting. Chapter 3, verse 21. Just the previous verse, end of chapter 3. Paul says, To him, to, to God the Father, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. So here's the church glorying in Christ. Here's Christ being glorified in the churches. We're rejoicing in him, experiencing this hope, experiencing this inheritance. So to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. How long? Throughout all generations, forever and ever. That means no end. Eternity 
future. So think about this. This is your destiny, believer, brother, sister. This is your certain destiny because of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We were called to hope in the joy of Christ, which is undeserved, which is certain, which is real, and which is everlasting. This is your destiny. Think about, we've got a lot of sand around here in Abu Dhabi, right? So think about one grain of sand. Okay, that one grain of sand is like the extent of your life here on earth. And all the other grains of sand don't even come close to showing how long eternity is going to be. Do you feel that? It just boggles the mind, doesn't it? So here's what we've got. Paul says, walk worthy of your calling. What is our calling? It's a calling to the hope of joy in Christ. And that that calling is undeserved. It is certain. It is real. And it is everlasting. That's our calling. That's chapters 1 through 3. And then with that in mind, let's read verse 1 of chapter 4 again. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Walk worthy of this calling. You've been called to the hope of joy in Christ. It's undeserved because you are dead in sin, and this is only through what Jesus has done. This is certain because you've been predestined to it. This is real because you get tastes of it now by the Holy Spirit. And this is everlasting, goes on forever. Walk worthy of that calling to an inheritance of eternal joy, real joy, certain joy awaiting you. So how do we do that? What does it mean to walk worthy of this calling? That's verses 2 and 3. Okay, Paul, how? What does that look like? Now, before we read these verses, though, here's what I want to do. I want to give you an illustration to make this tangible. So this isn't just theory, but so we get down into the nitty-gritty of our hearts. And you may not be able to relate to the details of this illustration, but you'll be able to make the necessary adjustments to fit what's going on in your heart. Okay, are you ready? Here's, I, here's this illustration. Let's say that your home group this last week decided to, let's do some kind of an outreach event so we can invite people who don't know the Lord. So we can love them and serve them and get to know them and, and they can see Jesus in our love and they can maybe hear about Jesus in our conversation. So let's, let's do an outreach activity. And so everybody starts sharing suggestions about let's do this or let's do this or, or let's do this. And you're thinking, I've always wanted to go skydiving. I've just always wanted to go skydiving. I mean, just the thought, I mean, what an incredible adrenaline rush, right? You, you jump out of this plane and just, there you go, right? And you're just falling and you're looking around and seeing the, the horizon and seeing the sandy desert down there and, and just what an amazing experience that would be falling, 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 then parachute and oh, that'd be awesome. And, and now that I think about it, that'd be a good outreach event, wouldn't it? I mean, you know, think about the incredible bonding. You get down there, you land, it's like high-fiving each other. I mean, think of, you know, you're just, you've all experienced it, you did it together, you overcame your fear, and you, I mean, that'd be a great outreach event. And with all that bonding, then we could really be talking together and sharing each other's stories. So you raise your hand and think, I, I think we should go skydiving in Dubai. And a, a, an awkward silence falls upon the room. <laughs> and, and, and somebody says, well, I mean, that could be a good idea, but... You know, to be honest, I have a fear of heights, so I'll be down waiting for you all to come if, if you decide to do that. And somebody else says, 
you know, thank, thanks for sharing that suggestion, but honestly, I don't think my friends would, would want to do skydiving. Um, not, not a bad idea, though. And then somebody else says, um, yeah, it could be a good idea, but it's pretty expensive, isn't it? And I think we might have people who couldn't afford it. And, and as they keep talking, pretty soon it's clear that the group has decided that they're not going to go skydiving. <laughs> okay, now, what's going on in your heart? Well, maybe, maybe nothing's going on. Maybe you're, you're okay with that. But, but there would be a temptation, wouldn't there? I mean, you really, you were really excited about this skydiving. You really want to go skydiving. And, and you think it'd be a great idea for the group. Come on, just overcome your fears. Just talk your friends into going. Let's do this thing. And, and what can happen with that disappointment of having the group not go your way? Could some bitterness start to rise up in your heart? Yes. Could some pain and some distancing between you and the group start to rise? Yes. And so what, what can happen at this point is, is what Paul would call division, not unity. Because if bitterness arises in your heart towards your group, that's division, right? If, if you find yourself later in the week talking to somebody else here at the church, can you, let me tell you what my home group, they, they didn't want to go skydiving. Can you believe that? See, that kind of conversation, that's division. Let's call it for what it is. It's the D word, okay? It's division there. Maybe you take a few people at the home group aside and say, you know, can we talk about our discussion last, at last home group meeting? I mean, don't you really think it would be a good idea to do skydiving? I mean, how come you didn't say anything? I mean, see, do you see what's going on there? Division. Do you feel that? Or, or what if you just, like, I'm kind of tired this week. I think I'm just not going to make it to home group tonight. I just don't quite feel like going. And maybe next week, uh, you know, I, maybe I'll look for another home group. Right? Could that happen? Yes, thank you, whoever said that. Yes, that could totally happen. And so see, what's going on then is we'd be tempted in that situation to allow division to grow in our own hearts, at least, in our conversations, possibly, in our actual relationships, in our actual involvement. It's very easy to have happen, right? We've all experienced that. We all have. It's very easy. And, and, and if we allow division to grow, then the unity, which used to be a sweet fragrance we all enjoyed, has become a, a stench of division. And the, the life-giving dew of Mount Hermon, which was so, caused us to flourish and thrive in our relationships, has become life-depleting division. And that unity, which used to display the beauties of Christ to people, now has become division which is dishonoring Christ to people. So with that illustration in mind, okay, think about that. Feel in your heart how easy it could be to have division. The question is, what can you do? I mean, you are feeling disappointed about that. You are feeling some level of bitterness about that. You are frustrated about that. And I know if, if skydiving is not your thing, think of what could make you feel that way about a group of people. Think about the times when there has been division, when there has been bitterness in your heart. And the honest question we need to ask Paul is, Paul, what can we do at those times when we're feeling those things in our hearts? Bitterness, enmity, anger, distance, pain, frustration, hatred even. What can we do at those times? 
And what we can do is, go back to verse 1, set our hope on the calling, the joy of Jesus. We've been called to the hope of this inheritance, joy in Jesus, which is undeserved, which is certain, which is real, which is everlasting. We have that. And see, here's what will happen. When you take time to set your hope on your calling, on Jesus Christ, you open up the scriptures, you seek his face, you say, Lord, look at my heart, change me, help me. Because you know what the real problem is there? At that moment, your hope is not in Christ. What is your hope in? Skydiving. That's what's going on. At that moment, the joys of skydiving are superior to you than any other joys you have. That's it. Like, if, if I don't have that... I'm ticked, okay? Jesus, you've forgotten about Jesus. He's off in the background somewhere. But see, when you open up the scriptures and you set your hope back on Christ, you say, come, change my heart, the Holy Spirit will, will take a little portion of the joy you're going to have in heaven, and he will give it to you now, and you will taste again. Oh, yes. And the joy of beholding Christ, fellowshipping with Jesus Christ, pouring out your soul. I'm disappointed about this, but Lord, you are my prize. You are my treasure, and the Holy Spirit will change your heart at that moment. So we will then be able to walk worthy of our calling. Do you see how that works? So when your heart is like, no, divide from them, gossip about them, be bitter towards them, when that's what's in your heart, you're know, just like, i got to say no to those things. No, 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 no. Open up the scriptures. Say, Jesus, help me. I'm in a bad place now. Come and change my heart. Help me to see and feel your beauty once again. You are so infinitely better than skydiving. He will come, and your heart will change, and you'll be able to walk worthy, as Paul describes in verses 2 and 3. So let's look at verses 2 and 3. What would this look like? First, beginning of verse 2, Paul says we're to walk with all humility. Humility, literally the Greek word, means to think lowly of yourself. Now, there is a good way to think lowly of yourself. There, there's a bad way, but there is a good way to think lowly of ourselves. And we do that. How does our hope help us to think lowly of ourselves? It's by rem remembering that it was undeserved. We were dead in sin. So I would encourage you to take time just to think of how sinful you were and the hell that you deserved. That's how wicked my sin was. Oh, my. And think of the suffering that Christ had to endure to pay for your sin. That's how wicked my sin was. Oh, brother, sister, this is so good for us. It'll give you the sorrow that leads to life. Watch out for that sorrow that leads to death. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, but there's a sorrow that leads to life. And you will, you will think lowly of yourself because of your sinfulness. And so because of that humility, you'll be able to say, you know, maybe I was wrong about the, the skydiving idea. Maybe that wouldn't be such a good outreach idea. And you know what? It'd probably be better, even though I really would like to do it, it'd be better to do what would really benefit the group the most. I think we'll just let that skydiving idea go. That's humility. See how that works? And that will come when you see that your calling is undeserved. Paul goes on. Second, he encourages us to walk with gentleness. 
Now, what is, what is gentleness? Well, gentleness means you respond to people tenderly, with kindness and with compassion. What's the opposite of gentleness? Harshness, uh, brittleness, right? Abrasiveness. That's the opposite of gentleness. So how does our hope and joy in Jesus make us gentle and tender and compassionate? It's because when you set your heart on Jesus Christ and put your hope in him, he fills your heart. He fills you. And, and when, he, when he fills you, you're, you're satisfied. And so no longer does skydiving become the big issue. It's like, well, I'd like to go, but we, we don't have to go. And, and you'll be full. You'll be content. And then when someone says, you know, I, I've got a fear of heights, instead of saying, yeah, come on, you'll say, mm, man, I'm sorry. You're, you know, you're right. If we can't all do the same, do this together, let's just not do it at all. You'll respond with compassion. See how that works? Okay, so we walk with all humility, and we walk with gentleness towards each other. Are you walking with humility toward each other right now? Are you walking with gentleness towards those around you? The more we put our hope in Christ, the more humble and the more gentle we will be. Third, Paul says we're to walk with patience, bearing with one another in love. What this means is we, we keep loving people, even if they disagree with us, and even if they hurt us, all right? We, we keep loving people, even if they disagree, even if they hurt us. Now, how can we keep loving those people who, who don't want to do what you really want to do regarding skydiving? Well, again, it's because you have a hope in Jesus that is undeserved, that is certain, that is real, you're tasting it now, that is everlasting, which more than makes up for not going skydiving, right? It more than makes up for missing out on the skydiving or whatever else is the problem between you and that, that person. So patience and bearing with one another in love. Fourth, Paul says we should be eager. Underline that word eager in your Bible. Eager, that means like zealous, passionate, like yes, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So we're, we're passionate about unity with our brothers and sisters. We're, we're working on nurturing unity in our relationships. If something crops up to produce division, we, 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 we move in and how can we help? How can we, how can we get that dividing factor out of the way? And I ask myself, what is it about setting our hope in Christ that it makes us so passionate about unity with each other? I think I've shared this before, but my father quotes someone, I don't know who it was who said it, but he says, a shared joy is a doubled joy. You ever heard that? And it's, it's true. And so what this means is when your joy is in Jesus, not just you're supposed to joy, but the Holy Spirit's giving you tastes. It's like, Jesus, you are my prize. And then when somebody else, in the, others in the body, they're rejoicing in Jesus as well. When, when you share that joy together, What's the Holy Spirit doing in your heart? What's, who, who's he showing you? What's he showing you about Jesus now? And you share that together, it doubles your joy in Jesus. But that can only happen if there's unity. If there's division, that won't happen anymore. And so a shared joy is a doubled joy, which means if you're passionate for your joy, which we all are, you'll be passionate for unity in the body of Christ because you want more joy. See, the Bible says it's great to want more joy. 
as long as you're going for the best joy, the biggest joy, the most lasting joy, which is Jesus' joy. So eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So we've been asking, how do we walk worthy of this calling? It means we walk with all humility and gentleness. We walk with patience, bearing with one another in love. And we're eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Okay, now, let's, let's just each of us think about our own hearts and our own relationships. So what's going on? You, just, you don't need to tell anybody else. You're just thinking in terms of your own heart. Is there someone in the body here that you're avoiding? See that, there's division there. Is there someone in the body who's, who's hurt you and you haven't let it go? There's division. Is, is there someone who recently you've been talking bad about them behind their back? See, that's division. You understand why, right? Because the person you're talking to then, you're dividing that person you're talking to from the person you're talking about, right? You've just created division, not between you and them, that's already there, but between this other person and them. So you're, you're sowing division then. Is there someone in the body who has something against you that you haven't done anything about yet? See, then you're allowing division to continue. Okay, so, so ask yourself. See, this is so important. In fact, let me just mention, some of you may be here who aren't yet followers of Jesus. And, and I would guess that you've heard stories of churches who've gone through terrible divisions and, and splits. And I just want to tell you, that, that should not be. And you're right to be a little bit like, how's that true if Jesus is true? Well, it's because Jesus is true that that shouldn't be happening. That's why Paul writes this here, because we believers aren't perfect. We should be moving towards unity, but we've probably all heard of churches that have had terrible splits and divisions, or even individual believers who've just had terrible ruptures in their relationship. It should not be. But if you're a follow, not yet a follower of Jesus, and if that's been a big barrier, let me just tell you, you're right, it shouldn't be. That's not Jesus. The church isn't perfect. Jesus is perfect. Okay, so keep your eyes on Jesus and come and trust him. That's what we would encourage you to do. Okay. But, but ask yourself this question, those of you who are trusting Jesus now, is there division in your heart? Is there division in your relationships? If, if there is, then God this morning is lovingly and sternly urging you that there is something that needs to be done. You need to do something. This is very big. Again, because unity produces a beautiful fragrance we all enjoy. Division is a stench. Unity is like life-giving dew, giving life to all those around it. Division is life-depleting. And unity displays the beauty of Christ and our divisions, small, big, our divisions dishonor Christ. So this is big. And so God is, is, is saying something to you now lovingly and sternly. There's something he's calling you to do now, today. That's why we're here. Now, why is this so serious? I think Paul tells us why in verses 4 through 6. And then we'll take a look at what we can do. But first... Why is this so serious? I struggled to understand verses 4 through 6 this week. I was trying to just, Lord, show me. What is Paul's 
flow of thought here? What role do verses 4 through 6 have in Paul's argument? And oh, it just finally came to me about 6 o'clock last night, a little bit late, but God's never late, okay? He's, he's perfect. I was dull, maybe not seeing it, whatever. So I think in these verses, Paul is telling us why this is so serious. See if you agree with this. Read these verses. Verse 4, Paul says, There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now notice, verse 4 talks about the Holy Spirit. Verse 5 talks about the Lord, Jesus. Verse 6 talks about God the Father. So each member of the Trinity is mentioned here. And the point Paul's making is that each member of the Trinity's passion is to produce unity by their unique aspect of, of, of the, the ministry of what, what, what the triune God is doing. One God, three persons. And so when we are allowing division to continue, when we are being divisive, we are opposing the Spirit, we are opposing Jesus, we are opposing the Father. Let me tell you what I mean. Verse 4, one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One of the Holy Spirit's passions is to give his people this hope of their calling so that then they're humble and gentle and forgiving and bearing with one another and united together. The Holy Spirit's passionate about that with Grace Church. Oh, he wants to just pour out hope here and hope here and unite people together. That's his passion. And if you are producing division, you're opposing his work. Do you feel that? Verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. This is talking about Jesus. Jesus died on the cross to save his people so he could create a united church, united in faith, and a faith that's expressed in water baptism, which we're going to be celebrating soon. Jesus' purpose is to have a united church, united in faith, displayed in baptism. And if we are divisive or are allowing division to continue, we're opposing Jesus' work. Verse 6, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So God is over everything. And he, this is, he's all has to do with all believers. He's the father of all believers. He's over all believers. He's through all believers, working through all of us. And he's in all of us. So God's just like unity, unity, unity. So if we are talking about somebody behind their back or you know, dividing people from each other or harboring unforgiveness or bitterness in our heart, we're opposing God's work. I'm not sure it gets any more serious than thinking that you are opposing the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Lord Jesus, and the work of God the Father. Could anything be more serious than that? I think that's what Paul is saying here. So what can we do to restore unity with someone? Let's say there's someone here in the fellowship and you, you're at odds with them. There's division. There's pain. What can you do? <laughs> Let me give you some general principles. And uh, there's no easy answers. Relationships are complex. But here's some principles that will, will help you move ahead, okay? It all starts with seek Christ for peace and joy. It all starts there. You kneel down by your bed, open up your Bible, and seek God's face until you meet him, until he shows you Jesus and your humbled and you're filled and you're rejoicing and you're cleansed. We can think sometimes, you know, to get, you know, I, I've got this relationship and until I go to them and, and get this off my chest, I'm not going to be able to, to be at peace about it. That is not true. 
you, you get it off your chest before the Lord. Bring it to the Lord. Pour out your soul before the Lord. He will so fill you and so satisfy you, you don't need to go talk to anybody about anything. He may call you to go talk to somebody, but you don't need to. It's not because you're, you're going to try to have them say something that will make you feel better. No, you're free. The Lord's filled you. He's met you. However they respond, I'm good. It's so freeing. It is so powerful. Meet the Lord. Receive his joy first. Okay? And then if there's been pain, there will be healing. If there's been bitterness, there will be forgiveness. If there's been anger, there will be peace. He'll work. Another principle, forgive them privately in your heart. Forgive them. Jesus calls us to that. See Jesus' forgiveness of you so powerfully that you are filled with forgiveness toward them. No one can love Jesus' forgiveness of them and then not forgive other people. You can't love merciful forgiveness, which I need so desperately. You can't love that and then hold on to bitterness towards somebody else. You just can't do it. So see your forgiveness through Jesus. Love Jesus' forgiveness of you. That will give you forgiveness towards others. Third principle, ask God for wisdom about how else to restore unity. Like I said, these situations can be complicated. Jesus promises to give you wisdom. James chapter 1, verse 5, ask him for wisdom. He will give it to you. Another principle, do everything in love. This will help you avoid lots of pain and heartache as you move ahead to try to seek reconciliation with people. You're not talking to them to get back at them. You're not talking to them to justify yourself, to vindicate yourself. It's all love for them. Anything you do, any conversation with the other person, you want to love them and care for them. Think the best of other people. It's so important. Don't assume the worst, okay? If you talk with them, ask questions, don't accuse them. Maybe the reason they left home group last week quickly without saying goodbye to you is because they just got an urgent text and had to go to a work emergency. Maybe that's why they left early, not because they were intentionally snubbing you. Does that make sense? We all tend to think the worst, right? Don't think the worst. Assume the best, all right? So, if you think they have something against you, ask if you've done something to hurt them. Remember, Jesus says, if your brother has something against you, leave your offering before you bring it to the temple and go get it right with them. So ask if you've done something to hurt them. Clear up any problems. Apologize. Seek to restore unity. If they have done something to hurt you, consider simply overlooking the offense and letting it go. Proverbs talks about this a lot. Some offenses are minor. It can simply be overlooked. Just overlook them. Not all of them can, but some are. can just be overlooked. No need to talk about it further. You just leave it at the cross. If you have hurt each other, ask them to forgive you. Hopefully, they'll respond similarly. All right? But if they don't, forgive them. Seek unity with them. Love them. And seek God if there's anything else you should do in relationship to them to, to pursue it further. If they're dishonoring Christ or hurting God's people, follow, you, follow Matthew 18, 15 through 20. Read that passage. Jesus gives us step by step to take if they're dishonoring Christ or hurting God's people. But don't forget what else Jesus said. Get the log out of your own eye first before you worry about the speck 
in your brother's eye, okay? And then finally, if the problem is more serious, talk to your home group leader, get more counsel, okay? Things can be more complicated. But these are some general principles to, to, to cause you to move ahead. So here's my exhortation to you, church. We have a hope. We've been called to a hope of joy in Christ forever. It is undeserved. It is certain. It is real. And it's everlasting. This is your destiny as a believer. Whenever there's division, you've lost sight of that calling. Every time. And whenever you set your heart back on that calling, your heart will be changed. You'll be patient, you'll be humble, you'll be gentle, you'll be forgiving, you'll be desirous of unity. So let's set our hearts on the Lord. Let's get refilled with the joy of Jesus Christ, the hope that we have in him. And then church, let's take steps this week to rebuild bridges, to forgive, to pursue unity. Let's do that. Let me pray for us. Father, I ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us here at Grace Church today. We know Satan is seeking to sow division in our relationships all the time. He hates our unity in Christ because it glorifies your name. So Lord, help us to be diligent to seek your face, to pray, to be filled with joy in Christ by the power of the spirit. And then Lord, let us be diligent to have those conversations, to forgive, to love, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Work that in us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name.